This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, this week's Pasha, Pasha's Re'eh. Something that I've been talking about a lot lately, and that is that one has to look at themselves, right? Um, one has to look. You have to stop looking like this and sort of look at who you are. Instead of looking at your phone the whole time. So this passion starts off, Re'ei Anoichi, right? See me. saying Hashem saying, look at me, see me. Noisin Lefnechem Ayayim, Brachol Klala. Today, I'm giving you a bracha and a klala. A blessing and a curse. That's our bracha. What's the bracha? Asher Tishmu El Mitzvah Hashem Alekechem. If you're going to listen to the Mitzvah Hashem, you're going to Asher Nechem Mitzvah Hashem Ayayim, which I commanded you today. What's the bracha? The Torah does not tell us. Just tells us. And the bracha, if you listen to the mitzvahs and you do what you're supposed to, and doesn't tell us. And the next passage says, Rakhlala, and the curse, If you don't listen to the mitzvahs of Hashem, and you go off the derech, by the way, that's where that expression comes off. Where a person goes off the derech, it's from this passage. For some reason, the Torah is using this lashon about a person doing the wrong thing. Because really, translation of you went off the way. What, you know, that's the lesson that we use for kids that are off the derech. Comes from this passage this week. I asked kids who are off the derech, do you know where your name comes from? They don't know. It's from this passage. You went off the derech, you followed other gods. You don't even know them. And doesn't tell us what the curse is. So, it's a little bit strange for the Torah to open up and say, and the bracha is, if you're going to keep everything that you're supposed to, and the curse is, if you're not going to keep what you're supposed to, and it doesn't tell us the bracha, and it doesn't tell us the klala. So in the past years we've discussed that the Torah is telling us intrinsically that the bracha is, not that you're going to go to Gan Eden, you're going to be a millionaire, or all that stuff. That's not the bracha. The bracha is that you keep the Torah in mitzvahs. And um, I had this discussion I think I had it here, but I had it very in-depth in a camp two weeks ago. And I said that if um, the biggest god of our daughter, let's say Rav Chaim, got up and said that he met with Eliyahu Navi the night before, Eliyahu Navi came to learn with him, Eliyahu Navi said, you're not going to believe it, but in Shemayim, they closed Gehenna. There's no more seats in hell. Booked. And Ganeiden, full. Which means that if you do something really bad, you won't get punished. There's no room in Gehenna. If you do something really good, you won't get rewarded. So there was a group of, what's it been, 80, maybe more than 80 kids. I said, I want you to go inside yourself and be very honest with yourself. If you knew that no matter how big a mitzvah you did, you would not get rewarded for it, nothing. Give it up to nothing. Give money a million dollars to poor people, nothing. You're going to get no reward for it. And do the worst of error. The worst sins, you eat cheeseburgers while you're watching a movie, on Chavez, all these other errors. And no punishment. Freebie. It's closed for good. We turned off the fires. What mitzvahs would you stop doing? And what other would you start doing? I said, I'm not going to be around because it's camp. I'm not coming back. But just look at that paper after you write it and study it. Because the truth is that really it shouldn't change anything. Because 
Yiddishkeit, Judaism, is not about punishment and about reward. God wrote a Torah, which He gave us, and He said, this is what's good for you, and this is what I want from you. So if you have a good relationship with Hashem, who cares if there's a punishment or a reward? If someone has a great marriage and the husband and wife love each other, you don't do things right because you're scared of punishment. And you don't do things right because you want a reward. That's a little kid who's growing up. That's not a real relationship. In school, you get a gold star if you do something right. But if you really love your Rebbe, it's like, Rebbe, I don't need the gold star. I don't need the football. I don't need the new baseball bat. It's not what it's about. You're my Rebbe, and you're so good to me. You're so good to me. I'm trying to do what you want. So, what the Torah is telling us over here, which, which I'm not going to tell you it's an easy, easy level to reach, but it's a level that you can only reach if you have a, if you have a relationship with Hashem, because it's also, you're not going to do something for someone unless there's some type of relationship, unless you get a reward, right? You're not going to work for me for free, right? But if we have a relationship, right, I have a brother in law Yankees. My brother in law we're very, very close. He runs Ornava pretty much. He runs my business. Doesn't get paid for running Ornava or my business. So why does he do it? Because we're very close. And he knows I have a million things on my head. So he wants to take something off my head. It's not about payment, punishment. If I don't do it, you're not going to let me work anymore. No. It's a relationship. So we need to think, do we have a relationship with Hashem that if I know that I'm not getting rewarded, there's no getting for me. And I'm also not getting punished. Am I going to still keep the Torah? the way I'm keeping it right now or better or worse or, and, and the only way is you're going to get that answer is this is the most important one of the most important words um, in the Torah Re'ei you have to look at yourself you have to you have to you, you can't have a relationship if you don't know who you are so the first thing it says here Re'ei anaychi noisin l'snechem hayayim bracha because Baruch says to us listen to me very carefully do you know what, I'm, what I gave you today? What I'm giving you today is a bracha. What's the bracha? The bracha is to keep the mitzvahs and the Torah and be close to me. That is the bracha. Not if you do everything, you'll get a blessing. That's not what it means. The blessing is to have a relationship with Hashem. Who are we to have a relationship with Hashem? Who are we to have a relationship with Hashem? Who are we to talk to Hashem? Who's the worm to talk to us? Imagine your fish, your goldfish. You're sitting there talking to you a whole morning. Listen, I need food. Keep the air conditioning on. You better make a lot of money, right? You're a goldfish. Go swim away. Leave me alone, right? Because Baruch Hu, he's God. He's forever. We're human beings. We die, we rot, right? We're, we're, we're a soul. But as, as, a, human, as a human body, the, the mission says, right? If you want to stay on the right path, know where you come from. <clears throat> Know where you're going. There are two missions in Pirkei Elvis that say you can end up with the worms. So I never understood that. Come on, we have enough depression, enough Prozac, right? They give out. And the person has to walk around and say, "You know what I'm going to be at the end?" Rima, but it doesn't just say worms. Rima, it's say last. You're going to be wormy and maggots. Oh, that's going to make me feel good, right? Here, I walk. He gets up and says. You gotta feel good, you gotta have energy in the morning at the same time. You say, Mishnah, you know where I'm going? 
You know what the end of all this is? Maggots. The Mishnah tell us that. And the same Mishnah Pirkei says, where do you come from? Where does a human being come from? Where do you come from already? From a scientific lab? Where do you come from already? So the mission, the lush of the mission is a putrid drop. That's where a person comes from. Nothing. It rots like a seed in the ground before anything grows. So what are you walking around like a big shot? Look at my car, look at my phone, look at my iPhone, my this, my that. You're going nowhere. You're going nowhere. No matter what you have, you're going to be the same bones as everybody else. Bottom line, four feet. That's it. They put you down four feet. I always tell people who are like, you're in my seated shoe and you got my ear rights because you're building a house and you made an extra porch. You're in my ear rights. You're in my parking spot. You're in my chair. I'm like, listen to me. From the end of the day, four feet is what you get. And if the guy next to you starts leaning in after 40 years into your coffin, there's nothing you can do. You have to realize that you're not any different than anybody else. Now, why would, why would you tell anybody to, you don't have the, oh, this. You see, if you don't put that on, it doesn't work. That's fine. I'm not getting enough sound. You're not getting any sound because of this. No, but on the line, it's this. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So we're just talking to the girls here tonight. Nobody else. So, so what is this Mishnah telling us? You come from nothing. You're going nowhere. Going nowhere. And the third thing in the mission says, three things you have to think about. You're going to give din v'cheshbin, judgment in front of God. This is beautiful. I come from nowhere, I'm going nowhere, but in the middle, I'm going to have to give din v'cheshbin. What's going on over here? It's a very big insight. And it has a lot to do with this week's passion. And the insight is as follows. Number one, I said this in a shul not that long ago. I said it twice in my life, and it, it just blew everybody away. So, many of us, not anyone in this room, but some of us sometimes feel like losers. Tried, I can't do it. I can't competition. All these girls are in my class, even wherever I am. And I have to be as pretty as they are and I have to be as smart as they are. And so I go to a wedding and everyone's looking at this one and not at me. Competition, 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 right? We live in a world of competition and how could I win? And I'm a failure and my mother's not happy with my marks and this time I got a good mark, but next time I'm not going to get a good mark. Depression, I mean today I don't have to tell you about depression, right? So Misha tells us something amazing. What are you trying to tell me that a human being comes from a putrid drop? What, what? That's gross. Like, what, what is it, why would a Mishnah talk about that? So all of you learn science, and you know that a human being is made from an egg cell, right? A woman's cell and a man's cell. But the man's cell, there are millions produced. But only one fertilizes the egg. Just one. Why does Hashem do that? Create one man's cell, one woman's cell, and they get together, and that's it. Why do you need millions? So I heard in a shear, blew my mind, that God put into every single human being, everyone in this room, because otherwise you wouldn't be here, that there was a struggle, and there was a competition, before you even existed. And you are the one of the million that made it. So in a human being's physical and spiritual being, 
He already won this competition amongst millions. And the Mishnah specifically uses the Lushan that it uses because all the other ones die. And the only one that lives is you. So every person who's struggling, who says, I can't make it, it's a lie. Because you already made it. You already made it. Because if you wouldn't have won that struggle, you would not be the one that's here. Unbelievable. So the Mishnah says, at the same time, it's a very big responsibility. Because a million other ones didn't make it. So at the end of life, you have to give a din v'cheshben. What's a din v'cheshben? Hashem is going to say there were millions of them. And you made it. So what would you do? So what would you do? What did you do with your whole life? What did you do? There are a million other neshamas that want to know, you made it? So what did you do? That's the din v'cheshben. That's the din v'cheshben. And at the end of the day, you need to know that we're all the same. And every human being that gets buried, gets buried, and there's maggots, and there's worms, and who cares? Because that's not who you are. We all, at the end, in this, end up in the same place. But in the middle, from when we're conceived until we're out of this world, there is so much different between every single human being. So don't think because you have money, or because you have a car, or because you're more intelligent, that at the end of the day, you're better than the next person. That's not, that's not what makes you... This is for what? The computer? This is for the live, and I'm not... Okay, so, so they won't get this shit. They should have come. They should have flown in from Dallas. What can I do? So at the end of the day, everyone in this room, every single one of us, we came into this world in a struggle. Forget about the struggle of being born, which is also a huge struggle. To come into this world, a huge struggle for both mother and child. So then you plop into this world, and you plop out of this world. And the question is, what do you do in between? What do we do in between? So therefore the Torah tells us, you want to live a life of bracha? You want to live a life of blessing? So the Torah says, es ha-bracha, Hashem You want a bracha? Then you have to listen to the mitzvahs of Hashem. Asher nechem You want a klala? Don't listen to me. Not only that, serve God that you don't even understand. What does that mean you don't even understand? Because every Jew is born with a holy soul. So, so you're doing stuff when you do an Avera, you don't even understand what you're doing. You're following what everybody else is doing. You've so many times it's peer pressure. You don't even want to do it. And that's how a person has to think. And that's what it's saying here in Pashas for A. It's saying here in Pashas for A, everybody has the most unbelievable potential. Crazy potential. It's, it's, it's more than the, 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 than the Olympics. You didn't run against a million people in the Olympics. 50, 60, 30. So you, we're all here, and therefore, we have to look at ourselves. That's the only way to grow, everybody. I deal with people that don't grow my whole life. And the difference between the girls that grow and the guys that grow are the ones that are in contact with themselves. The ones that are not in contact with themselves, they cannot, they don't have self. They cannot be in a marriage because they don't even know who they are. How can they figure out somebody else if they can't figure out themselves? And therefore, the Torah is telling us that the first thing when it comes to a bracha, you want a bracha in your life, you have to look at yourself. And first, to look at themselves, they have to spend time. And they have to ask these questions. If there was no Ganeiden and there was no Gehenim, 
do I have, a, do I love Hashem that much that I'm not going to eat treif? But if I know I'm not going to get punished, but I once in a while sneak treif, the answer is no. Hashem sees everything I do. And He asked me to do this. So if I have a relationship with Him, right? Yes, shaloy lishma, balishma. If you don't have that relationship and you have to do it for reward, you can do it for reward. But that's not, that's not, it's not a real relationship. That every time a husband listens to his wife because she's going to make him his favorite supper, that's not, that's not a relationship. He's getting, it's like a little puppy. He's getting rewarded for, for being nice. It's not a relationship. That's what, that's what the Torah is telling us over here. So, just interesting, somebody handed me this today, and this is, this is looking at somebody who went through a very hard time in life, and how they switched channels. Something that I talk about a lot. I had a very bad temper as a kid. Crazy. I got the most penalty minutes on my whole hockey team. I was in a semi-pro hockey team. I sat in the penalty box most of the time. Right? I, I'm a Kayin. You can't really blame it on Kayin because see, the, it's, it's a misnomer about Kahanam. Everyone thinks they're Kahanam, but whilst I'm going out with a Kayin, should I continue? Right? It's not true. Kahanam don't have a fast temper, even though that's what people think. The Gemara says that when Kahanam were working in the base of Migdash, so everything had to be perfect. And everything had to be in exact time. So they were very uptight. They were very nervous. If the blood spilled out, they had to bring another carbon. If they had a thought, um, they're bringing a carbon oil and they, they started thinking about football or they started thinking about carbon shlavim, the whole carbon's no good. So they had to be on time, very nerve-wracking. Everything was timed, everything was fast, so they were uptight, they were tense. Not, they don't have a fast temper. The situation that they were in made them tense. So I happened to be a client. And I happened to have a crazy temper as a kid. And where it came from, I don't know. I can't answer where it came from, but I had a very bad temper. To the point where once a guy said to me something in the base medrash in 12th grade, I didn't like what he said, I just turned around and I broke his nose. And they, yeah, they, I punched him and that was it. That's when, it, that's when my whole life changed. Um, he said something pretty nasty, but I was like, the whole issue was like, what? You know, I just turned around and I just punched him in the, in the face and I broke his nose. And, um, I didn't feel bad about it either. So yeah, this is the Rabbi Wallstein. It took me many years. I won't do that. Don't worry. They're all like, um, nice, nice year, Rabbi. Um, you know, hello. We, we'll, we'll watch it next week on Torah anytime. <laughs> so what happened from that, first of all, I asked him, Mechila, whatever it is. In fact, he lives in Flatbush. I saw him, I saw him. We're, we're not friends, 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 but we know each other. And I always say, hi, how are you? And he's like, see this bump right here? <laughs> so my Rebbe, my Rebbe, of course, this is a big uproar. They threw me out of school for a few days, and I asked him, Mechil, I felt very bad. I just lost it. It wasn't, it's like, when you have that, it's like something, like a button. It's not, it's not a thought process, like, should I hit him? Shouldn't I hit him? It's just like this fire runs up your back of your neck, and it's like, I'm going to hit him. Like, whatever. But Baruch Hashem, I worked on it. And I'll tell you what happened. So my Rebbe, Rabbi Blooming, big tzaddik. So the whole school was like, what? You know what I mean? The kid's nose was bleeding, whatever. They're like, he just punched someone in the base mattress, like, it's like unheard of. So my Rebbe pulled me over and they, he said, we need to talk. Yeah, okay. Um, he, and he saved my life. What he taught me to do, right, just to say, um, count sheep, I can't, I, between when he said what he said and I punched him, there wasn't time to count sheep, right? It wasn't even one, one sheep, right? It was like one, but no sheep. So, no count sheep. Um, hold it in, then you explode. It's just, you're just gonna take it out on somebody else an hour, two hours later. 
what you need to do is in, in any midah, any emotional midah, what you need to do is to, to change that emotion, to change it. You can't get rid of it. To, you, you, it's foolish to think you can get rid of it. Anger management? No. Not anger management. Well, it's sort of a management, but turning the anger into a different emotion. A person's emotions is a person's emotion. If you, if you get angry very fast, then you need to get lovey very fast or forgivey or merciful or you gotta take that emotion and you gotta change it. You can't get rid of it and you can't swallow it. I've never heard anyone who has anger just get rid of all things like, hi, no. Then he's, he's taking something really good. It's not, doesn't happen. So what did my Rebbe say? He said, take your anger and change it. I won't say the word is mercy. It's not mercy. Um, give the English word for it. What? No, not passion. No, not pity. Pity is a bad word. People don't like to be pitied. All right, you'll come up with when I tell you what, 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 what I did. So, so... So what happens? So you have your mother's yelling her brains out at you, right? Or your husband, or your kid, or it doesn't matter who it is. And they're really pushing your buttons. Now, imagine somebody's yelling at me in shul, right? Which is the famous story that happened to me in Landau's, where the guy was making fun of me. Ooh, you're the rabbi of the girls in front of everybody, whatever. It was a whole thing. Now, if I would have been in the base medrash when I was a kid, I would have hit him until he didn't get up. But... I already had grown, and my Rebbe already taught me how to do this. So instead, I said, this guy just embarrassed me in public. So no matter how many mitzvahs he did his whole life, he just lost them all. It was very bad for him. He's so out of control. He's so out of control that he's screaming at me in front of any, everybody for something I didn't do, right? Never had to say to him for him. So of course, I made him more crazy, because I said, you know, you really not doing well, I'm going to say to him for you, and he went really crazy, because it's the worst thing you can tell somebody. Like, you know, instead of getting angry back, it's like, oh, you're really not in good shape, I need to dial him for you. But I do that very often now, it aggravates them even more. But truthfully, so, Baruch Hashem, I don't get angry. I haven't been angry, and don't try me, but I haven't been angry in a very, very, very long time. Because anytime someone tries to hurt me, I just look at them and say, Nebuch on them. Look, look at this person yelling, and screaming, right? Why are you screaming at me? If you're the child, you're like, look at my mother. Look at my mother. She, she's not happy. She's screaming. I'm her child. We can have such a good time together. And she's out of control. I'm going to daven for her tonight. That so she should have an easier life. And I tell this to all my Talmudim. Just the opposite. Instead of getting angry and yelling back, say, look at my mother. She's 45 years old, and she's out of control. She's yelling at me like this, or yelling at my father, or whatever it is. Mommy, you you don't have to tell her, because she's going to aggravate her more. But in your head, you have to feel, Mommy, you're so out of control. You're 45 years old, you haven't had a day, a year of of good life. Look at you. You're miserable. You don't get angry at anybody anymore. Sometimes at yourself, but that's it. You mommish don't get angry at any. You're able to change the emotion, I don't have that, not empathy, I'm looking for the right, I don't have it yet, the word. Probably by the end I'll come up with it. But there's a certain word, because pity, no. Pity is not such a nice, I, I pity you, you can go to somebody, I pity you. No. That's all about you. It's all about you. I pity you. I'm the good one. You're the bad one. When you look at your mother and she's screaming and you're saying, Oy vey, my poor mother, she's out of control. 
she has no life, she's so miserable, we could be so good together, and you go upstairs and you down to Hashem, I love my mother, and please Hashem, make it easier for her that she shouldn't get angry all the time, and she shouldn't lose her temper, or my father, or my, whatever, whoever, or my husband, whoever it is, that's not about you. That's caring about the other person. When you pity someone, it's like, hey, I pity you. It's about you. That's not healthy. That's not healthy. To give charity to someone who's sitting on the floor because you pity them? No. That's about you. Hi. Oh, I pity you. You poor Nebuch. Here's a dollar. Ugh. That person's like, oh. Right? If you go over to someone, like, it's not a question of pity. You need a dollar. You need to buy food. Here's a dollar. It's not about me. It's about you. So, what? I don't hear. I don't even know what that word means. So I definitely wouldn't think about it. I know what it means, but I can't spell it, so that's definitely not the word. I'll have it. I'll have. It. I'll, I'll get it by the end. We'll get it by the end. It's not pity. No, no, different word. Whatever. If you go back to my share four years ago, you'll find it. Because, but, so so if you take this emotion, right? You take this same thing with jealousy. Same thing with any emotion. You 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 cannot you cannot help but being jealous. You can't walk around, I'm not jealous, I'm not jealous, and then you're, 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 you're going out for 15 years, you can't find the right guy, right? And this one girl that you know, her first boy she's engaged to. Don't be jealous! But the automatic reaction in your heart, it's not, it's not a thinking process, it's like, oh my gosh, first boy? I'm up to 130, right? So it's going to bother you. It's not going to bother me, I went to this shit, to that shit. First it's going to bother you, first you're going to be jealous, then you're going to remember the shit and say, I'm not allowed to be jealous. But you're still jealous. But I'm not allowed to be jealous. That's not what my Rebbe taught me. You gotta take that jealous midah and you need to change it. I'm a simcha for her. What do I have? What, what is that I went out with 125 boys have to do with this girl? This girl, she has her life. I have my life. My boy is still in the pressure cooker. He's developing into a big tzaddik so that I could marry him. And she should have a good life. Who knows what her life's going to be? Who knows what your life's going to be? You don't know anything. I know crazy stories where it was impossible for these girls to marry anybody else because the boy that she married, who she's so happy with today, she got married, she worked here in Ornava. She got married at 40-something. For Hashem, she had a baby this year, right? And the guy that she married, who's a Baal Tshuva, is, the, is a lawyer. He's the most wonderful guy in the world. He wasn't about Tshuva until two years before she went out with him. So all those years, from 18 to 40... She couldn't have married him. He wasn't from. He wasn't from. She could not have married him. My brother, my older brother, married a girl. Her brother started dating when he was 20. He married, he got married when he was, he's 13 years older than his wife. So when he was, started dating, his wife was seven. That's illegal. It's against the law. So, we didn't understand because my brother Eliezer is a big tzaddik. One of the best boys in Mir Yeshiva. And he's going out and he's saying very few times no. She's saying no. He's saying no. It's just not going and we're like... And even the Rosh Yeshiva was like, Eliezer Wallet, like, right? Meanwhile, she's in third grade. And then he's going out a whole nother year and she's in fourth grade. And when she hit 18, that's when he, that's when he dated her and he got married. Malky Wallstein, who teaches here. So, what's the jealousy? That's a life, this is a life, but, but you're automatically jealous. So what do you have to do? You have to take that jealousy, and you have to turn it into an emotion 
of giving. I'm very happy for her. I'm really happy for her. That's her life and that she found her shidduch. Hashem should please make it that this is the right guy. Please. Make it that he's the right guy. Just finding a guy, that's not a big deal. He should be the right guy. Anything. They have a beautiful car. I'm not jealous of other people's cars. He should, he should, he should do mitzvahs in the car. And he should never get into an accident in the car. And he should be safe in the car. Now, I might be jealous when I see the guy drive. One of my friends just bought a Mustang with the top down. And he rolled into, into the bungalow colony with this car. He's my age, right? With this thing humming. And I love cars, right? Huge. The new Mustang, right? He rolled in. I'm not going to tell you the first thing. I said, oh, wow. I just got a car. I should have looked at that one, right? I'm not telling you I didn't say that. First of all, jealousy means I don't forgive him. I don't... Why, why does he have it and I don't? That, Baruch Hashem. But I automatically... I said to him, you know what? He should be safe in that car. He should be able to take people and give them rides from shul in that car. If I want such a car, I don't want such a car. But the first second, I was like, wow. Right? You have to take that midah. Now, if I would have said, wow, I really want that car. Why does he have it? And I don't. Oh, but I went to Chafetz Chaim. Says I'm not allowed to be jealous. Okay, bye. That's not, that's not, that's not going to help me. It's not going to help me. It doesn't change anything. So you have to be able to change your mida into another mida, not make it go away. Change it into a positive mida, and that's the Mefarshim say the Dispasha. That's what it says. I saw this in Torah Talmud. Beautiful sefer. Right. Number one, you need to see that I gave you what? A day. Wow. I gave you a day. You're alive. You have potential. Now, there's two ways to look at every day. Bracha uklala. The day you can look at is a bracha or a klola. And he brings that in the safer that really, it's up to you. What do you mean it's up to me? So many terrible things can happen today. It's not up to me. And the answer is yes. It's how you look at that day. No matter what happens. The greatest thing can happen and you look at it as disgusting, a klola. The, the worst thing can happen and a, and a tzaddik will look at it as a bracha. So, H.com sent around this story and somebody put it on my desk today. So I'd like to read it to you for a minute about a woman who did this. The Power of Gratitude by Sarah Yechebed Riegler. She brings down the story. The Antidote to Anger, Resentment, and Complaining. Perfect. Julie Reisman, I guess I doubt it's through her real name, but anyway, was used to summoning difficulties. 85% deaf. She learned to lip read and with the help of hearing aids managed to succeed in the world of those blessed with hearing. She had her own business designing producing and installing decor for shopping malls. Her first marriage ended in divorce, leaving her with one daughter. At the age of 36, Julie started to connect with her Jewish roots and became religiously observant. Then when she was 38, she married Bruce, the man of her dreams. Bruce shared custody of his three daughters from his first marriage, so Julie happily found herself the dedicated mother of a close-knit family. Bruce was a successful professional. They lived comfortably in a big house in an upscale, in an upscale suburb. For 10 years, Julie was living her dream. On a wintry morning in 2009, the dream abruptly ended. Bruce, 48 years old, fell down the stairs, hit his head. He died almost immediately. The shock of her husband's death was followed by another shock. Of his three life insurance policies, he had let two of them lapse. This included the largest policy, which was to have supported his three daughters. Bruce had also neglected to write a will. 
and to change the beneficiary of his retirement account after his first wife divorced him. So pretty much, she lost everything. By law, half of the large house and Bruce's other assets should have gone to his first wife, but she and her daughter sued Julie and managed to get 100%, leaving Julie with nothing. Even worse, she turned, Bruce, she turned to Bruce's daughter, no, the other, the first, the mother of his daughters, she turned Bruce's daughters against Julie. Almost overnight, Julie lost her husband, her close-knit family, her house, and her financial security. She was 85% deaf, okay? Naturally, Julie felt angry and resentful. Throughout the entire two and a half years of litigation, she recalls, I knew I needed to plug the anger and resentment. At the time, I didn't want to. I wanted to wallow in my misery. I wanted to make others miserable along with me. I also wanted to stop being miserable and go back to being the upbeat, positive, happy person that I inherently am. But I feared that if I let go of my anger and resentment, I would also be letting go of my rightful inheritance. Julie realized that she was standing at a crossroad. She could spend the rest of her life in anger and bitterness, or she could choose to be grateful and happy. I decided that I needed to find a way back to my former positive self. She explained, so I started to practice gratitude as an antidote to my anger. Julie had lost her job several months after Bruce died, and she was literally being forced out of her house so there was nothing to keep her in the upscale town where she and Bruce had lived. She decided to move to a less expensive area to choose Baltimore. Anyone here from Baltimore? Okay. She rented a small apartment. There she would sit at her computer and make long lists of what she should be grateful for. For being alive. For finding the Jewish community of Baltimore. That my parents are both alive and loving and supportive. That my brother also moved to Baltimore. For my daughter. For my son-in-law. For my grandchild. For having found a beautiful apartment in, in Baltimore to rent. For all my friends. For having had 10 years of wedded bliss with Bruce for the fact that hearing aids exist, for my car, for finding myself living within walking distance to Rabbi Shmuel Silver Shore, wherever that is, where I met many of my new friends. And finally, 14, for God's ever-present providence. The list went on and on. I would go through my day noticing and being grateful for every little things. Then the doors started opening for Julie, because if you're positive, you force good things to happen. She needed to find a job to support herself. She had worked, she had worked in a resource development for nonprofit organizations. She sent her resume to her friends. One of her friends sent it to the Jewish Museum of Baltimore. They gave her a job. She ended up going to Eretz Yisrael. Um, she learned how to write grants. So, at the end, appraising her situation, honestly, she realized that given her, de- her deafness, her employment prospects in Israel were nil. Her Hebrew was not good enough to speak, nor to lip read. She could not work at any job that required telephone communication. Acclaiming to a new country, acclimating to a new country at the age of 51 would be difficult with the language barrier. Perhaps impossible. Julie decided to make Aliyah anyway. Her daughter and son-in-law were already living in Israel. While Bruce had generously helped support them after his death, they too were struggling. Julie calculated that one household is cheaper to run than two. And that if she lived with her daughter's family, she could scrape on the Social Security disability payments she would receive, as well as having the joy of helping to take care of her grandchildren. Shortly after arriving to Israel, Julie got a job grant proposal for the Joint Distribution Committee, which is the biggest, which is Israel's highest paying employer for grant writers. No coincidence, she, she insists, smiling. It's all good. Gratitude, however, is not a one-time fix, but a daily choice. Julie still struggles against the pain of being without a husband. She would like to get married again, and she wishes she had enough money to buy a house. But she says with determination, the anger no longer colors my life. Every day anew, Julie paints her life with gratitude. So this is, again, the same thing. She had a miserable life. She's deaf. She went through all this other stuff. Where does it get you? 
at the end of life, where does he get you? And it's very true. I can tell you this from experience. It's very true that if, if you're positive, then positive things happen to you. If you're negative, then negative things happen to you. They call it karma. There's no things karma. It's, it's where you're, where you're at is what Hashem gives you. You're negative, Hashem gives you negativity. You're positive, Hashem gives you, there's a, it's, it's a hard thing to say because I don't understand exactly what it means, but it says that Hashem, Baruch Hu, the God of the world, does not like complainers. That sounds very not godlike, right? So they bring a riot to it because what did he say in the Torah? You cried for no reason. I'll give you a reason to cry. You cried Tishbav night because you said this whole thing about the Jews going into Israel. So now, for the rest of time, I'm going to give you a reason to cry. Tishbav, Spanish Inquisition, Holocaust, everything that happened on the on the on the nights of Tishbav. What do you mean, Hashem? Because I cried, so you're going to give me a reason to cry. That sounds like a parent. You cry for nothing? I'll give you a reason to cry. Right? We've heard that before. But that's not God. So, it's very, very deep. What Akash Baruch was saying is that if you complain and you cry for no reason, you create a mode that you're going to cry. And it's going to be a day of complaining. So it's going to be a day of complaining. Again, it's the same, they use the word karma, it's not the same thing. In other words, a person who gets up and complains and complains, Hashem's going to give you reason to complain, because, not because Hashem's punishing you, but it's a, it's a, how it's, it's a reaction. If you're going to fetch, you're going to have a reason, not I'm going to give you, you're going to have a reason. I don't think it says Hashem's not going to give you a reason. You're going to, it's the Lushan of the Torah is you're going to have a reason to complain. So a person who gets up in the morning, right, and they're happy, is going to have a happy day. Try it. Gets up positive, you're going to have a positive day. Maybe some bad things will happen during the day, but you're going to look at them like, big deal, like she did. Big deal. Some death, so I lost this, so I lost that, so I lost The bottom line is, look at my, my good list. But if you're going to get up as a kvetch, then you're creating the situation of a kvetch. And you talk, you see it, people who are kvetchy and complaining, they get depressed, and it leads to very not good things. So it's not that Hashem punishes you, it's a consequence. So that's what this passage, that's what this passage, this is what you need to take home tonight. So this passage says, Every single person in this room, this morning, God gave you a present. What is it? What is it? Hello? What is it? Today! He gave you a present. He walked into your room this morning with a box, and he opened it up, and he said, Here, you're going to live the whole day. Now the question is, was it a bracha or a klala? Hashem says, that's up to you. You decide what that situation is going to be. It's not up to me. It's up to you. How are you going to look at it? You want me to give you a coaching, an advice, how to have a good day? Keep the mitzvahs. You want me to give you advice? If you don't want to have a good day, do a virus. Because they're not good for you. And if something's not good for you, you're not going to have a good day. If you're going to eat something that's not good for you, you're going to get sick. But the first thing you need to know is that every single person has a special unbelievable, fantastic present and that is that you lived today. Now you're going to need to go home after this year and write that on a piece of paper. So what did I do with my present? I had a whole day today. Did I put it in the drawer or did I use it? 
that's something you need to know. I can't answer. I will sit down and take a look at what my day look like exactly. But I, that's what the Chachamim used to do every night. They used to go over their day and how they spent their day. And that's how you learn, did I waste four hours doing nothing? Four hours? Do you know how many people are laying in hospitals? Do you know what they would pay for four hours? Not to be laying in a bed with a tube in their throat and a tube in their neck and a, and, and, and a respirator and all this stuff. Four hours? You were out in the world? Four hours? What did you do with it? Oh my gosh, let me run out of this hospital bed. Disconnect me. Let me go outside for four hours. I'll show you what I could do. Ten hours? Twenty-four hours? You had twenty-four hours? You had seven days? You had a month? A year? You had a year of life? And what did you do? You watched 90 DVDs? So you had you had a year of real life in this world? And what did you do? You stepped into the fake world. So why did you have to be in this world? You could have been in a coma, right, for the whole year. And you could have been dreaming. And you would have had a whole year of DVDs in your head. You would have been in the other world. Could have put you in a coma. Why did we let you walk and talk? and be a human being is to get the bracha is to do something time time so that's what this Pasha starts the Pasha has a lot of fascinating things in it. but before you start anything you need to know right because before before the bracha before the Ashitishma um, Mitzvah Hashem right and the Klala that you don't listen to the first thing you need to know is that you got a gift did you have a day you have to know that you had a gift if you don't realize that, if you don't realize that a day is a gift you're not going to keep the Torah because it's just, I got to get through the day. I heard it today. Somebody said it to me. <coughs> I just got to get through the day. Whoa. Could you imagine someone in a hospital hearing that? You just got to get through the day? You're the greatest presence? And you're walking around like it's a, a load on your back? You just got to get through the day. And, and, and when you get through the day, then what? You got to get through the next day. Oh, man, I got to get through a whole week. A lot of people that would trade with you. There's a whole... Big graveyard on Ocean Parkway. They'll all trade with you. Every one of them, I promise you. Every single one in every grave, you walk up to them and say, Hey, you want to trade with me? Pop right out of the grave. <laughs> now, why do you think they want to trade you? They want to watch Batman? They want, oh, before I died, there was that one text I wanted to send. So I just want to get out again so I could send another text. Huh? Make a phone call. You think that's what they would do? If we, if, we, if we went over to the graveyard and we said, All of you on Ocean Parkway, there's like a lot of people buried there, right? All of you in your graves, we're giving you two minutes. You can be out of your grave for two minutes. Could you imagine 10,000 people on Ocean Parkway getting up, running to Avenue M to the telephone store? I got two minutes. I need a new cell phone. I got a bunch of calls to make. I got to send some texts. What would they do with those two minutes? So if they're Jews, the chaparain, the guys will get up and say, give me a pure tzillin. We went to the other world. You know what, you know what it is? Put a tzillin for one minute? And, and I want to see my family. I got two minutes. I, I, I got to get to see my whole family. Right away. All my kids. Everybody. Beautiful. He gives, Rav Shemshi gives this share. He says, you want to know what your life's supposed to be? Think about that you're in your grave and God comes to you and says, you got two minutes. Whatever you would do for those two minutes, that's what you should do for your whole life. You run to your family, all of a sudden you have to I need to see my daughter, my grandchildren, everybody. So then how come when you're in life and you're not in the grave and you have hours and days and months and years and you're busy not seeing them? 
and you want to put a tefillin, you want to do this mitzvah and that mitzvah, and I want to get dressed this, and I want to light Shabbos candles. It's Wednesday. I don't care. I want to light Shabbos candles. You know what Shabbos candles in the next world? Just give me a period. Give me Shabbos candles. Two minutes. How many people would get out of that graveyard and went to a movie? How many people in the next world would get out for those two minutes and went to the movie? Pine Avenue, wherever it is. Or how many would run to have a big, huge meal? Or, hey, I want to get a ride in a Mustang with the top down. Let's do Ocean Parkway and then put me back in my grave. <laughs> I gave you a day. What are you doing with that day? And he also said, it's a little bit macabre, this little share tie, but he also said, you got to be a realist. He said, if you want to know what's important in life, walk through a graveyard. Look what it says in a woman's grave. She was pretty? Never. Uh, she was the biggest socialite, you know? She hung out with everybody? Nope. She had a perfect score in college? Nope. You'll never see any of that. She was very rich? Nope. She was a good mother. She was at Tzadikista. She was at Snua. Her house was always open for charity and for chesed. You will never see in a person's grave anything about how much money they had. You look at a men's grave, it'll be he learned Torah, he helped Aniyim, he was a good father, he was a good Rebbe, all the other stuff. So Rav Shimshin said, anything that's not on a gravestone, you realize that after you're gone, it's not important, then it's not important. You'll never see anything. She got her dresses in Bloomingdale's. No. Not going to be anybody's gravestone. For sure not. She was the best kid in, she was the best kid in high school. Not going to say that. I'm going to say she was a good mother. She was a good daughter. She was a good sister. It's not even going to say that she was a good cook. I mean, I haven't seen, I'm a client. I don't really get into graveyards that much. But I don't think you're going to find somewhere that. She was the most, made the best chulet. That's not going to be on there. For sure not. Not on either side of the gravestone. It's not going to be there. So if a person wants to know what's chashiv, take a walk. Not if you're pregnant, but if you're not pregnant, take a walk through a graveyard. Read stones. Now, I'm not saying it's a joke. Read stones. See what's chashiv in the next world. And then think about what are they, what are they going to write about me if they don't lie, because you're not allowed to lie on that stone. Very, very bad for the person. They're very careful. You're not allowed to lie. You're not allowed to write anything on that stone that isn't true. It's very bad for the person who passed away. Very bad. So go take a look. Oh, I'm a single girl, I'm a young girl, I can't look. But you can imagine. You know, it doesn't say anything about how pretty or money or cooking or any of that stuff. It says about relationships. She's a good daughter, she's a good mother, good wife. It's all there. That's what a person needs to do. That's what the Mishnah says. The Mishnah says, think about where you come from, but think about where you're going. And what's important where you're going. Your body's not important, that's for them. What's important where you're going? You already won. You struggled against millions. You made it. Rocky. You're born. I am the champion. I got to the world. No. Now what? What are you doing with it? That's this first pasuk. A, but you have to look. You have to think. And the Yitzhah has all these crazy things in your eyes and your ears. You can't hear anything. And you can't see anything. And the last person you can see is you. And you cannot get to where you need to be, especially where in Elo, 
right? This Shabbos and Sunday. That's it. We're here. We're here. Ov stands for El Ba. El Ba. This Shabbos is Rishchidish El. And the first word in Rishchidish El is Ani Ladaidi Uladaidi Li. The first word in this week's parasha is Re'e. Second word, Re'e Anaychi. It's all about me. Ani Ladaidi. I am to my loved one, and my loved one is to me. If there's no I, there's no relationship. And I takes time. I spoke about it this Shabbos. Takes time. You can't get to know yourself right away by looking in the mirror. It takes time. You have to think about who I am, what I want to do, where I want to go. And you have to think about life like you're in the grave already and they gave you two minutes. What am I going to do with those two minutes? Because we don't know if we have more than two minutes left. We don't know if we have one minute left. We don't know anything. So you have to make believe that you have two minutes left. If I had two minutes, what would I do right now? I'm going to walk out and I'm going to go into my car and think to myself, I have two minutes left to live. What would I do? I'd definitely call my wife, my wife, tell her I love her. I'd definitely call my mother, call my kids, say don't use all the money up at one time. <laughs> I would call my family, that would be number one. I would go to shul, and I would just lay on the Arna Kodesh and tell Hashem, I'm sorry for everything I did my whole life that I shouldn't have, that I didn't listen to you, and I just want you to know that I love you. And whatever mitzvah I could say, Amen, Shema Yisrael, whatever it is, that's it. Would I, would I get into my car and turn on the music? Would I, would I get into my car and, and just make a stupid phone call to somebody or text somebody? Would I watch a movie? Would you crazy? Watch a movie? I have two minutes left. I'm going to watch a movie? And don't tell me, show you where you because you won't see the end. No, that's not, what I'm, that's not the point I'm trying to make. If I had two hours left, if I had two hours left, I wouldn't watch a movie. If I had five hours left, I wouldn't watch a movie. That's how a person has to think. It's a life changer. And that we're coming into El. I'm coming to Hashem, and I'm telling him Yom Kippur at Rosh Hashanah, I am here for life. Right? All of a sudden we put Chaim into everything for the 10 days. Everything's like, right? Everything. Right? Everything's about life. So I'm coming to Hashem in 30 days. I'm coming to Hashem in front of the judge. I'm like, Baruch Hashem, I'm not in Ocean Parkway. I'm alive. Please give me another year. And they say, Why? Why? You want to watch another 40 movies? You want to spend another 400 hours on your telephone? That's not what you're here for. So, you're asking for this year, show me what you did last year. Right? You come for a job, interview, you have to have a resume. Show me what you did till now. If you didn't do anything till now, you not, most of the time you're not going to get a job. What did you, you do till now? So when you stand in front of a Kirsch they want to see. What did you do last year? We gave you 365 days. What'd you do with it? Saw a lot of movies? Psh, read a lot of books? Wow. You know what? We'll do you a favor. We take you out of the world because you're doing the wrong things. But you have 30 days to say, I messed up for 11 months. I wasn't thinking. I didn't do the re'eh. I didn't look at myself. But I want to show you what I'm going to do these next 30 days. Oh, 30 days? You did the right thing? Okay. We'll invest in you. You invest in yourself, we'll invest in you. I run a business. So I hire commission salesmen. Now, commission salesmen means that they get a commission from what they sell. Many people are like, I can't live like that. I need a salary. And I'm like, I'll give you a salary for three months to get you started, but that's it. And if they say to me, 
no, I need a salary for a year. I'm like, so you don't believe in yourself and you want me to believe in you. You don't believe after three months you can get it going. You want me to believe in you, but you don't, I don't believe in people that don't believe in themselves. Why should I invest in you if you're not willing to invest in you? That's business. Why would I invest in someone who's not willing to invest in themselves? If they don't believe in themselves, why should I believe in you? I had a, a kid that was, that needed to go to drug rehab. It was $45,000. $45,000. I didn't have the money. She didn't have the money. I went to a very rich person. And I said, she is about to leave this world. She is using drugs. She is drugging out of control. We have this place. It's a 30-day program. It's $45,000. I need you to save this girl's life. He said, I'll meet her. I went to that interview. She sat down. He said, so... Why should I invest in you? This guy's a businessman. I was like, oh my God, how do you talk to a human being like that, right? Why should I invest in you? So what she should have said is, because if you send me to rehab, I'm going to clean myself up. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to make someone out of myself. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have children. You're investing in one person. And the product's going to be dire, dire generations. That's what he was looking for. You know what she answered? I don't know. He said, I'm asking you, you want me to invest $45,000 in your rehab? Why should I invest in you? She goes, I don't know. He said, well, could you guarantee me that if after I invest this money, that you'll be clean? No. She said, well, I'll see you have a good day. He walked out. You don't believe in yourself? I should invest in you? No. No doesn't work it won't work if I'm investing in you and you're not investing in yourself so then I'll be clean which I am anyway and you're going to be a drug addict it's not going to help comes in Kippur we ask the Kishbochu to invest in us give me a year of life it's a big investment give me a year of life there's only a certain amount of souls that are here at one time do you know that? so that means that as long as you're alive there are other souls that can't come into this world they don't need to come whatever but one person dies, another person's born. So the question is on Yom Kippur, Hashem wants to know why he should invest and give you another year. And that Neshama shouldn't come to the world. So if you say, I don't know, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. But if you could say, you know why you should invest in me, Hashem? Because I did 30 days. I did the whole Elul. I didn't watch one movie in the whole Elul. I didn't go on Facebook once in the whole Elul. I didn't have a fight with my mother once in the whole Elul. And look at my skirts for the last 30 days. They're better than they were the rest of the year. So I believe in myself. I believe I can do it. Am I perfect? No. Am I going to do a virus next year? I'm human. Yes. But I am sure going to be a lot better than I was this year. How do we know? Look at my last 30 days. I have a track record. That's the secret of Yom Kippur. They want to invest. Hashem wants, not they. Hashem wants to invest and give you the most precious thing in the world. He wants to give you a year. He wants to give you time. But if you are not willing to invest in yourself, then you can't expect Hashem to invest in you. Because guess what? If you're not willing to invest in yourself, that year is going to hurt you more than it's going to help you. That's the whole thing of Elul. God gives us 30 days a present. He doesn't all of a sudden show up and judge us. 
He says, I'm giving you, I'm telling you what I'm judging you. And if a Rosh Hashanah doesn't work out good, he's like a real tati. If a Rosh Hashanah you don't pass the test, we'll give you a retest, Yom Kippur. And if on Yom Kippur you don't pass the test, we'll give you another retest, Hashanah Rabbah. If Hashanah Rabbah you still don't pass the test, we'll wait till the last day of Hanukkah. He tries. He's a good guy, Hashem. God's the best. He tries. He's like, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Hashanah Rabbah. You don't get it? Hanukkah. If you don't get it by then, you are not going to get a job. So we need to leave here tonight. We need to know that El starts Shabbos. And we need to make changes on Shabbos so that when we stand there in Yom Kippur, we say, Hashem, invest in me because I invested in me. That's what the Torah tells us. Look at me! This is Rosh Chodesh Elul. Look at me, Hashem! We always read this, Rosh Chodesh Elul. Look at me! You know why you should look at me? Because I, in the next 30 days, you watch me. And you're going to see that I invested in myself, and I'm changing. So when it comes to Kippur, 40 days from Shabbos, remember, I believe in myself. You believe in yourself? I guarantee everyone in this room, you believe in yourself, and you show that you can change it, you have met Hashem, you have another year of amazing life, the biggest bracha that a person can have. You just need to figure out what you would do with those two minutes. And five minutes, and a day, and seven days, and a week, and a month, and a year. You figure out, if, imagine if those people could come back to life, and Hashem gave them another year, what they would do. And they know everything. They're not going to the movies once. You should all have re'eh, anaychi, naysein lechem, my bracha to you is lefneichem, hayayim bracha. You should all see brachas in your life today. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.